From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serra. Thanks for inviting me into your home. Long haul truck, RV, camper, taxi. Your parents' well-appointed rec room with a simulated wood paneling, electric fireplace, and the painting of dogs playing poker. Your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. A heartfelt hi. How are you to each and every one of you listening in on one of our affiliate stations? Howdy to those of you streaming us live on our Strange Planet YouTube channel. And those of you loyal listeners who gather in the YouTube chat, live chat every week. However and wherever you're listening, I bid thee the warmest of welcomes and I thank you for your wonderful company. Ali Siadatan from Think Again Productions is here to discuss the coronavirus and biblical prophecy. Before we get to that, just a reminder, the April edition of my free monthly newsletter, Inner Sanctum, will be published in a couple of days, so don't miss out. You can register to receive it at strangeplanet.ca, strangeplanet.ca. Do that right now, and uh, you'll still have time to uh, receive the April uh, edition of Inner Sanctum. And all we need is your name and email, and then it'll be delivered every month for free into your email inbox, Inner Sanctum. Register right now at strangeplanet.ca. Is the coronavirus mentioned in the Bible? Does it have a role to play? in the end times or the tribulation. Here to discuss is a great friend of the program, Ali Siadatan, is the founder of Think Again Productions in Canada, a multimedia teaching ministry shedding light on mysteries and treasures of scriptural knowledge, which is making the Bible more real than ever. Ali has found evidence keeping, which keeps agreeing with the Bible's tale, from biblical cities peering through the sand to alien abductions and prophetic events. In 2006, Think Again Productions released the groundbreaking documentary UFOs, Angels, and Gods on Google Video. It received 270,000 views in just nine months. In 1996, Siadatan completed a master's degree in French language and literature at the University of Toronto. In September of 1999, he answered a call and opened a center to minister to urbanites through martial and healing arts, as well as spiritual studies for seekers. He has a black belt in Kung Fu and has been training since 1991. His research into UFOs has inspired him to write a work of fiction, which is in progress, as well as a second documentary on the rise of the Antichrist titled Goliath Rising, Hybrids, Nephilim, and Titans. Alicia Adetan, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show. How are you, my friend? Very good. Thank you so much for having me, Richard. It's a pleasure to be here. We were talking a little bit earlier about, you know, the, the some of the good things that are coming out of, uh, you know, this self-isolating and self, uh, uh, you know, and quarantining and so forth. Did you did you have any thoughts on, on that that subject matter before we talk about the, the pr- prophetic angle of it? Yeah, I think that, you know, the the, the love of, uh, of God and all that is good about life, all the good stuff about life is always present in the midst of all kinds of, you know, adversity. And when we open our eyes to the things in our life that uh, are benefiting from what is happening right now, um, I think it's good to acknowledge that as well. And, and it's, it's uh, edifying, you know, to focus on those things. Do you think that there is a divine purpose behind this outbreak, this pandemic? I think that the idea with God is that he allows 
you know, this, this reality that is created of conscious beings, uh, be it the host of the heavens or the host of the earth, um, he allows these conscious beings to live out their purposes um, and doesn't interfere like, in, a, in a robotic way like he's controlling people or controlling situations. And he's created uh, agents of free will, and he's allowing this story to unfold. However, nothing happens without his ultimate um, permission. His sovereignty is, is complete. So in that sense, everything has a divine purpose. Everything is moving forward according to the ultimate plans, the mysterious uh, plans, the unsearchable plans of God, which we only know about because he's chosen to reveal some of it to us. The plagues that uh, befell uh, Egypt during uh, you know, Moses' time in the, in the book of Exodus, yeah. uh, are there other mentions besides those plagues? Uh, are there other plagues that are mentioned in the Bible at all? Well, <clears throat> there are you know plagues and pestilences that come through the history of Israel. Um, it is sometimes because of sins. So there's this idea of you know if you repent, if you turn back to me, to my ways, and kind of confess and let go and come back, I will you know heal the land. That is what it actually says of things like this. Um, prophetically, uh, there is another time in history that draws heavily from the events of Exodus and the Pharaoh and the spiritual forces behind them and a series of plagues. And that's in the book of Revelation. And it talks about all kinds of things like this coming on the final uh, imperial structure that is in place before the second coming. That one is also hit with a multitude of, you know, judgments. Um, King David, you know, does a census of the people, which is something that is against God's law, and that unleashes a plague over Israel. Um, so the plagues definitely are part of what is possible in the creation of God. Sometimes it is used as judgment by God over angelic uh, principalities and their representatives, sometimes, you know, over his own people. Um, there is Psalm 91, for instance, that... Um, I think it's a very powerful psalm to know at this time, um, and I'm just pulling it up. I'll read a little bit of it. I think just the first few verses. It says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in Him I will trust. Surely He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. Um, mm. he shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor the destruction that lays waste at noonday. So there's this idea that being in, taking, making God one's refuge and one's fortress and trusting in that quality of God and just having faith in that quality of God and calling upon it shields the person from, you know, pestilence, which is, in a way, another word for what we're calling plague. It's the same thing. So there is this idea, well, if God, if didn't, this, this was not going to be part of reality, the, then why would God, you know, provide some sort of refuge from it? So it has a purpose. And as we were saying, it's interesting, perhaps it's, it's, it's helping people realize what's really important to them. As, as everyone is kind of, you know, isolated in their homes, 
it's a bit of a reset. Uh, at first, you know, there's a transition, and then a person starts to settle in. You're not engaging in commerce the way usually w- you would. You're not engaging in, you know, kind of your routine that just fills your whole mind uh, usually. And suddenly, perhaps in these times, God can get our attention and say, look, there's a few things I want you to know about yourself, about your life, about maybe I want to give you a new vision. Maybe there's going to be a transition for you. So it's interesting how, you know, God meets us in these places. At the same time, it's uncomfortable. At the same time, it's it's eerie. And at the same time, darker forces, uh, who are also aware that this is part of the menu of what's available in this life, may have plans and maybe have been waiting for such an opportunity to use it for their own purposes. So there's a lot of minds, including the mind of God, the mind of men, the spirit of God, the fallen angels. All of these forces are engaging this thing. And so there's a lot of things you can you can kind of draw from why God would allow calamities like this. He creates calamities, he creates light, <clears throat> he creates goodness, he creates calamities. Like Job says, you know, we receive good things from God, shall we not receive, you know, calamity from God? So it's it's part of the menu, yet God's sovereignty is over, yet it's bound, it has uh, limits, it has a purpose, and in the midst of it one can find uh, both peace and insight even. And yet God is, invites us to seek him for refuge, um, and to not be touched by it, So, which is a wonderful thing. We have access to that possibility. Uh, suffering, uh, you know, in the West, I mean, obviously there are there are people who suffer in the you know from illness and they suffer from mental anguish and loneliness and and so forth. Those things are universal. It doesn't matter how um, how uh, affluent um, society becomes. But for for many people uh, who haven't experienced trial. Uh, you know, entire generations, uh, three generations now have gone by since the Second World War, right. more since the Depression and so right. forth. So, uh, you know, uh, here I am, 56 years old, and, and I have, you know, we all have personal loss and so forth. But the kind of things that test a generation's mettle, as they say, yeah. we haven't had that in the West. Uh, so, I mean, talk to me about the the importance of suffering. Right. Suffering in the sense that it's not a noble thing in the sense that it's not a stoic thing that, you know, we must suffer because there's some sort of a nobility in in suffering. However, um, suffering is part of, and pain is part of what God has created for us because there is something in there that makes us grow. It's the the breaking of of the shell that encloses our understanding. It's like it pushes us. It's like the hermit crab. It leaves its shell and is vulnerable to prey before it finds a larger shell in which it can grow. But it has to go through that vulnerability in order to grow. So there is some sort of growth that comes from pain and suffering and insight. And when we look at the story of Job, which is you know the story that people always point to as a study of suffering, you know, in <clears throat> the Word of God, like what does God have to say about this thing, suffering? And the story of Job shows us that. God is in control of how much is going to be given to him. He he decides, he sets the boundaries. Um, it's not out of control. Job, as the story unfolds, is very uncomfortable. It's horrible. But at the end of the day, we see that he totally can take it. He actually has moments of deep insight in the midst of it. And then he comes out the other end even more blessed, even 
you know, has, he has more of everything he had at the beginning of the story. He's even a greater man than, than who he was to start with. So he, he lives through it, he gets wiser through it, a point is made on, on a great cosmic story, so it also serves a purpose. Man is put on trial. Is man worthy of the destiny that God assigns to him? And the, you know, Satan ultimately questions, and then God says, well, have you seen my servant Job? And that's what gets it going. Job passes the test, so there's a lot that comes from that. Um, now, God has a plan, ultimately, to end suffering, and I think that it's good to understand that it's part of the menu and, and, and has, has these boundaries and has a purpose, and it's okay to go through it and to grow through it. And, and it's, I think it's good to know that ultimately God has a plan to bring history to a place where there is no more suffering. Uh, it, its purpose is fulfilled, uh, and a new world is ushered in where there is no more tears, there is no more suffering, and we are in His presence. And it's also wonderful to know that we are going back to Eden, and even a greater Eden, than the one we left, and God has made this possible through the Messiah and through you know, his loving kindness and the plans he has for us. So that's also hopeful. Um, I like the um, <coughs> Hebrew idea that's in the Bible of peace. Um, I didn't n- know this until you know a little while ago, that basically there are three uh, different definitions of peace. There is the Greek concept, and I don't mean the biblical, you know, Greek concept. I mean just the cultural Greek concept of peace that is used in the West, which is the absence of war. There is no war; there is peace, which makes sense. Right. Then um, there is, you know, the Islamic concept of hudna, which, you know, the 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 noble, you know, the very fervent religion of Islam seeks to bring its message to all the nations and feels it can't really completely ever rest until that is accomplished. So peace is always temporary, and it's called a hudna. Um, but in the, in the Hebrew concept, shalom is kind of a peace in the midst of adversity, a benediction in the midst of conflict. It's a way of saying, look, at this point in history, there will be wars, there will be famines, there will be pestilences, there will be the sword and the spear that hasn't been turned into plowshares and pruning hooks. That's coming. In this time, there will be diseases, there will be droughts, there will be hardness to, you know, make your living, there will be pain in childbirth, there will be all of these things, there will be death itself. But in the midst of it, God makes room for his benediction, for his peace, uh, for his providence, and that is the biblical concept of peace. And so we have access to that when we make God our refuge. I think it says we enter into his peace, that's what's intended, and therefore we're not bothered by all of these things, and yet we now uh, are still going through it, and, and we can now, from a different point of view, uh, even benefit uh, from being in the midst of it all. And, and it's, these are techniques available to the human condition, like, you know, we have these realities happening to us, okay, but what if the, this is all true, and what if God has, in, his, in, in the mechanisms of his creation, made these things also possible and, and kind of opened our minds to it through his word? We talked about how, you know, sometimes uh, God uh, allows these things to happen. Yeah. Uh, but there are, there are other forces that, that uh, seize upon these moments. For there, I'm talking about uh, the other team, <laughs> shall right. we say, uh, that there are evil forces that, that didn't necessarily create 
what has happened, but they seize upon it. They try and take advantage of it, and and turn it to their uh, it to their advantage. Well, uh, I mean, they, so they may have created it. We don't know, and they may have taken yes. advantage of it, as you're saying. But regardless, at the end, there's a plan that they have in in all of this. Right, right, and so if we were talking about. Uh, let's say you know the biblical end times, the the rise of the antichrist, the the uh, the the tribulation. How does and we're we're coming up into a break here in about four minutes, but we'll we'll start the conversation now and continue after, obviously. But how does the the uh, the current pandemic? How could or might that play into end times prophecy? Well, I'll give you a few kind of biggies. If we look at it from the point of view that, yes, this is the signs are here, this is perhaps very much the season of the end times. In fact, we are, you know, we may see the uh, witness the second coming of the Lord. It ultimately leads to a seven-year rule. That is where it's all headed. For seven years, there will be this rule of this man, and the last three and a half years is when it kind of goes into overdrive, and reality, you know, becomes... We'll experience all kinds of new things, angelic wars, uh, people dying and, you know, coming back from the dead on television, like in Jerusalem, prophets. I mean, it will be uh, lying signs of wonders, fire from coming from the sky. I mean, the last three and a half years is going to be just, we're getting closer to making contact with God and His angels, and we're entering that world in a very open way. And so we're headed towards this seven-year rule, and... and, and uh, if we see that, if we go, okay, that's really where we're headed, Hope we may see it in our lifetime, maybe it'll be our children, you know, I don't want to put a time, but I, I see that a lot of the signs are here, then how could this be used as a stepping stone to some of the things that are the characteristics of that rule as mentioned and described in the Bible? Because there has to be stepping stones. The world has 7 billion people in it, a huge amount of structure. It has to be penciled in, prepared, shepherded, with very specific, uh, you know, principles and realities for it to fully, you know, unfold in that period. And uh, uh, I can, you know, mention a few big ones, and then we can open it up. Um, this is the first time where we're really experiencing a common threat. Um, like the head of the uh, World Health Organization was saying that we have to act like one humanity united fighting one common threat. And so this is an interesting thing. It's a drill. Uh, where, you know, it's being penciled in. This is the first time where religious differences, political worldview differences, economic worldview differences, racial differences, none of these things suddenly matter for a moment if the whole world is facing something that can kill anyone uh, of any race or religion or creed or, or, you know, nation. So suddenly everyone can agree, let's deal with this before we go back to our fights. So suddenly there's a there's a bit of a drill because after this we may start to think okay well um, you know what can we put into place if there are other common threats that may come we may change certain things about the world and about what's in the hearts and minds of people and of course the second coming is a common threat it will be perceived that way it says in the Bible it says the nations will go to war against God and His angels so. There is this feeling of, well, in order to create that kind of an outcome where you snap the world into, into place to fight a common threat, that might have to actually be, you know, uh, drilled in, placed in, infrastructured in. And in order to start creating that kind of infrastructure, you have to start to have common threats. So I find it interesting that it's got that quality to it, which, and again, I, I'd like to open this more, 
there's this idea of surveillance um, uh, and of technology that creates more of a interconnectivity between us and whoever is on the other end of the line and that's the problem Ali, I'm gonna Okay, I'm going to jump in. We'll take a quick time out. We'll come back and we'll talk about surveillance in the age of the coronavirus pandemic. Ali Siadatan, Think Again Productions. Back with more in a moment. Stay with us. The world is being pulled over your eyes. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. Welcome back. If you love The Conspiracy Show, you're going to love my podcast, Conspiracy Unlimited. New episodes drop Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. To listen and subscribe, just go to conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com, now available on Spotify. Uh, Ali Siadatan from Think Again Productions. Before we proceed, how do people uh, screen UFOs, angels, and gods? Go to our website, thinkagainproductions.com, Think Again productions one word dot com and right there you can click and watch it for free on um uh, on the website and you can sign up for the newsletter just to be informed it's free but if you want to leave a donation because you like the work and it kind of you know uh edified you or you just went i need to hear this this is great and you want to support our work you know click on the donation button especially at this time we'd appreciate it and you can also sign up for the youtube channel if you want to talk to me on facebook it's ufos angels and gods that's the facebook page all right. Before the break, we were talking about uh, uh, coronavirus and surveillance uh, and how that may uh, play into biblical uh, prophecy and end times. Right. And, uh, yeah, so let's pick up on that threat. Go ahead. Okay. So the first, uh, you know, the, the, the idea of a common threat, the second, surveillance, well, you know, you'd watch that stuff on China that they were putting in facial recognition. This was before the coronavirus. It was just enacted into law starting in January of 2020. Every Chinese citizen has to have an app, um, and their face is, you know, recorded by AI, uh, and the, the, the cameras of the city, uh, like, I don't know, there's maybe over a billion cameras, like, it's following them. And even when they go to buy groceries, and then they get graded based on their health choices, their, you know, did they help an old lady cross the street, did they smoke on a train a station where they shouldn't have, whatever, they get penalized or they get points and based on that they can rent apartments get mortgages travel and leave the country all kinds of things depend on the score it's a way of you know they say it's, we have so much so many people in this country if we didn't have something like this it would be chaos we need to create some sort of a mandatory social behavior we're kind of you know regulating it it's big brother to us and i think to a lot of the people there as well you know some people i'd say well in chinese culture confucian culture they're more kind of they're taught to you know just fall in line, it's a good thing, and some people may like it. We, but from the Western point of view, we'd look at this and go, wow, this is really weird, like this is very 1984, it's never going to happen here, California bans facial recognition, we feel we have civil liberties, you know, and it's just not part of the fabric of our culture. Then today I was watching um, a news piece on what's happening in Moscow. The government has uploaded facial recognition software on the cameras of the city that are everywhere, they're interviewing this guy. So if you come back from a trip in the airport, they recognize you, they record your face, and now if you go in and you don't respect your quarantine, they know the police comes knocking. So they interviewed this guy. He had uh, was supposed to be in quarantine. He had come down from his apartment building just to put his garbage in the garbage bins downstairs and went back up. He said half an hour later, the p- two police officers knocked on his door and wanted to know why he had left. And he was like, wait a second, how did you know? They're like, well, we have ways. 
And so this is what they've done. This is the way. It's not, a, it's not an unknown. They have put the AI software, and suddenly it's like, well, it's happening in the West in the name of safety, in the name of uh, security. And now he was saying, this man was, he was saying, I hope that they remove this. Once this passes and things go back to normal, it would be horrible if this becomes a standard. And we all know that usually, uh, perhaps even some countries more than others, when something like this is put on, it might not go away. Uh, you know, why would it? Right. Like income tax. It was supposed to be temporary <laughs> after the First World War, right? <laughs> right. Right, right. Uh, exactly. You know, it's like, uh, I like I like kind of Thomas Jefferson's take on it, taxation through representation. He's like, don't worry about it. It will still tax you like the king did, but this time you get to choose who taxes you. It's a really <laughs> nice, you know, twist on the whole thing. Like anyone would want to even choose anyone to tax them. But regardless, so... Uh, like taxation, it won't go away. And then there's the GPS phone um, tracing, where, you know, for the safety of your community, we trace your phone. You see it already happening in China. You get these passes, QR codes, Wuxi Health Pass. You have to, you know, uh, scan it. And if it's green, you can go on the subway in the taxi cab. Supermarkets, if you've been around hot spots, you know, it turns red. So it's for the safety of everyone, but this whole idea of GPS tracking, and uh, it's, it's being talked about in the U.K. There's an app you can download. It's kind of they're trying to make it. In the U.K., it's more like please download it at this point rather than download it, like in China. Uh, so, yeah, you know, there is a bit of a cultural break, and I think, like, you know, you put your foot on the brakes. Uh, and we do have to put our foot on the brakes here because we have that voice, and I think we should be aware and say, okay, why... I get the argument of safety. It makes perfect sense in a, in a benign world where it really is for, you know, the safety of people because there might be a disease. I get that. You know, people have children, people have grandparents, and I get that. However, unfortunately, we have learned, you know, a long time ago, and I think that's what was part of the theme of some of the, you know, European revolutions, starting with the Protestant uh, movement in Europe, that led to kind of a theme that, you know what, we don't always know who is on the other side of the line, especially if we take the biblical point of view that there are houses of the fallen angels and their offsprings and their bloodlines and themselves that actually, you know, are on the other side of, of, of the line. And so if we kind of, you know, take that perspective, then suddenly this thing, and as I said, I think people will love to buy into it because it's for safety and everyone wants that, but this thing can lead to, uh, again, uh, this um, um, prophecies talk about the mark of the beast and this intimate connection into the system where you can't buy or sell or do commerce if you don't have this thing. Um, so the combination of AI, 5G, speed internet, and the internet of things, which is coming, and it's in the next two to three years, I think and now it's going to be accelerated in the name of health, it's going to transform the world as much as the Internet itself did. Now, a lot of people don't realize that. They think it's just the next speed. No. It is a complete revolution in the story of the Internet. It's going to change the world as much as the Internet itself did. So when you look at these prophecies, like in the 90s, we had this impression that one day we would wake up and bang, we would turn the TV on and, you know, those big box TVs... And then the, 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 someone would say, oh, everyone has to line up and get this mark, or everyone's going to now be under this, you know, uh, uh, rule. But now we see that now that we're closer to it, I, I think, and we're actually seeing, 
You know, how we couldn't have imagined these things. These they seem so futuristic. We see that they're actually stepping stones that have to be implemented to create what may ultimately become the the, the structure of this seven-year rule. And um, we have to buy into it, and we have to want to buy into it. And it looks like from the small survey I've taken of my friends and neighbors, virtually everyone wants to buy into it. They're like, yeah, yes. you know, forget quarantine. I want, you know, let's have everyone tested. Let's have little gizmos in our home where we wake up and have our blood right. tested. And this I'm is like, disturbing really? to me. This is the most disturbing thing to me is, uh, yes, we need to take precautions. Uh, but but what what is, is shaping up as is this battle between health and civil liberties. And what I see happening is most people are going to choose health. Security. I mean, being, a, being a, a free people, freedom is hard work. Freedom is risky. Uh, you know, th- that's why people are willing, but I mean, people are willing to die for it, though. That's the point. And, and the idea that we can... We have to mitigate all risk. We have to not mitigate it, but reduce it to practically zero. Uh, we can't afford to, you know, for anyone to get sick or anyone to die. And I, God forfend anyone should die, but people will die. Uh, but that doesn't mean that we we put personal liberty on a shelf and forget about it for nine months while we wait for this thing to pass over. We can't do that. We can't allow that to happen because... I mean, that's that's not what Western civilization is all about. Yeah, and the, the, this is the whole, you know, what you were saying before, that maybe there's a hand that wants to social engineer something that benefits them on the long run. And I would say that looking at the, the, the Antichrist, you know, the final one, because there have been many in, throughout history, these scepters of rule that, that the dragon gives, you know, uh, rule even in the temptations of the Lord, he said, you know, that... Dominion has been given to me, you know, by God over all the kingdoms of the earth, and I will give them to whomever I please. And that has been the case since the days of Mesopotamia, where in the city of Nippur, the scepter of Enlil was placed, where all the kings, you know, understood that it came from there, their power. And this then, you know, goes to, you know, to Babylon, uh, ultimately to, you know, to Medo-Persia, to Greece, and then to Rome. And from Rome it goes... In, into all the houses of the eagles from Moscow to D.C. And so this has always been part of the story, but we are told there's a final transmission of this power that creates a kingdom that is the one that is, you know, met by the Lord himself coming. And and there is this feeling of the characteristics of this kingdom and we being really, really connected to it. That's the the intimacy that Mark suggests, a very intimate connection to the leader and to his system. And so I think that things like this can can lay infrastructure that ties us into the system more and more where we get implants, we get all kinds of things, tests, in order to the name of safety and security. And to your point, I think that if people didn't have a secular view in life and put trusted God and trusted in his eternal life and trusted in his healing power and trusted in his protection, then people will be less afraid. And also the biblical view enlightens us that there are hands behind the... So the, I don't think we can stop these things because this is the prophecies are... I think we definitely can uh, put our imprint into it and, and, and say, no, we won't go for this, we want this. And I think that can create windows 
where 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 our you know uh, freedoms are are extended. Uh, Okay, I've got to jump in, Ali. Apologies for the interruption. We'll take a quick time out, come back, and continue to uh, drill down on that point. Ali Siadadan, Think Again Productions, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Ali Siadatan, Think Again Productions. We'll open up the phone lines uh, as well. Take questions and comments uh, talking about uh, coronavirus and uh, biblical prophecy. Just a reminder, next week on the program, the return of John Barber for the full two hours, the, uh, the, the godfather of reality TV, the creator and host of Real People back in the 80s. Many people will remember that, but such a rich and storied uh, career. Uh, he wrote for uh, people like uh, Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin, um, appeared on The uh, the Tonight Show, was a, uh, a guest host for Merv Griffin, and also uh, a, um, a man who interviewed Jim Garrison, uh, try, got Jim Garrison or tried to get Jim Garrison on his TV show and ended up getting fired for that. Garrison, of course, the uh, Louisiana or New Orleans uh, district attorney. Uh, who uh, was the only person to ever uh, try someone uh, for conspiracy to kill President John F. Kennedy. So John Barber, for the full two hours, uh, will be here next week. Alicia Adetan uh, stays with us until the top of the hour, and we're talking about coronavirus and biblical prophecy. So uh, we were talking about things like the mark of the beast and... and, uh, and how I sort of look at what's happening now as yet another beta test. Again, we're being sort of introduced to some of these ideas. Um, maybe they won't they won't happen this time. But you know, you know, in in another ten years, another twenty years, maybe sooner, maybe later, there'll be another outbreak, another pandemic, and they will up the ante uh, until eventually there will be a hard push for mandatory vaccines, or you'll have to take the app on your phone, which tracks you. Uh, it, it's, it's gradualism, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's happening much faster than that. I see that 5G production is accelerating. I see that people are going to not completely go back to life as it was. They're going to be more online. The online reality is going to take off. Um, there's a business practicality that people are discovering that, hey, actually, there's actually some benefits on doing things online. Um, I don't know how long this will go on. They're saying now 18 months over and over again. That's the number that's being thrown around, that we're going to have to live a slightly different life until the vaccine is not only developed, but there's mass vaccination. Um, Sure, there will be many different things. I think the environment and climate change, that whole idea... Um, I've done a lot of research into alien abductions and discovered that these were, in fact, the houses of the fallen angels doing this from, you know, the beginning of history. And often abductees say that they are told about how they'll be catastrophic environmental things and that these guys will help us. Um, There's that very famous, you know, sighting that happened in Zimbabwe in a private school and Professor John Mack from Harvard went down, and there's a video, you can watch it on YouTube, and he's talking to this girl. They, they, all these kids in the schoolyard saw these beings, not only ships, but beings, and they ran in, like, scared. And so it was a very well-documented sighting and very well-witnessed. And one of the girls 
she was saying, you know, this. he looked into my eyes, I started to have ideas about the environment and how we should take better care. It's a theme that comes in these abductions that, and I've been kind of watching from the corner of my eyes since the middle of the 1990s when I became familiar with this, and seen how the ramp-up and the politicizing of this environmental issue, again, a transnational threat like pandemics that involves all humanity, and these guys are saying to the abductees, we're going to be involved in helping out with that and endearing ourselves to you guys. So another piece of the puzzle may fall in, oh, the saviors of mankind have arrived, which is kind of the good cop, bad cop, where the fallen angels make themselves the good guys, and God coming, the bad guys. So there is all of these stepping stones to shepherding us into the moment where we will you know, be invited to join with them in this final, you know, uh, very uh, destiny-making war. Another thing I wanted to mention as far as what I'm seeing, because, you know, we'll see more once this thing plays itself out. But right now, just very quickly, at the, what I'm seeing uh, already, uh, groundwork coming in, we'll see, as you said, how quickly some of these things may be implemented or if this goes away or comes back. There's another thing, which is the dependence on the state, this universal income that we're being offered, which is a great thing. And I know that people need it. I need it. People need it. And it's like, okay, yes, this is something that people need. And, well, there's a culture of debt. Uh, only as a stopgap measure, though. Only as a stopgap measure. Right. Well, what if, it, what if eventually, you know, it becomes more of awakens people, especially in the United States, that, hey, you know, maybe we do need these social... Uh, nets to be fortified, and people are willing to give up uh, something, uh, more of their freedoms, uh, and, 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 and have more transparency with whoever's on the other side of the line in order to get access to all of these things, and, and again, see it as part of a security measure, a safety net, and so perhaps this will draw us again into a deeper dependence. If you kind of look at the two extremes, uh, individual freedoms or more dependence on the state. Well, it might, you know, again, willingly shepherd us in a direction where we're more connected technologically, uh, we're more connected, you know, structurally, uh, and uh, we are more united in our resolve against common threats. So gradually you start to see a kind of society emerging that is more like the kind of kingdom that biblical prophecy explains will be here in the last seven years. Um, and the more people, I think, turn to God, uh, uh, there's a there's a sense of a, of, of a conflict uh, uh, w- with, uh, with with that ultimate system, and that's also you know uncomfortable. At the same time, we're heading into a break here. Ali Siadatan, Think Again Productions, right here on the Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Stay with us. Brother is listening, and so are you, to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Let's grab a quick call, and uh, we'll go to Melanie here in Toronto. Melanie, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Good morning. Hi. I'll try to make a quick, a blessed evening to you. I came upon something super phenomenal that's going to shock everybody that hears this, and it, all those that accuse us of being conspirators, this is right from National Geographic from October 
2005, and the cover is The Next Killer Flu. Can we stop it? I'll just read you something very quick, and then everybody can look it up themselves. Hopefully they can find it. Uh, flu researchers at the CDC and in the Netherlands hope to find out in advance by artificially breeding new viruses. In high-containment labs, they are deliberately mixing and matching genes from H5N1 and human flu viruses. Then they will test the hybrids to see whether any have inherited both the bird's viruses' virulence and the human virus's ability to spread. In effect, they are trying to create a pandemic flu strain in the lab. Some critics think that that's reckless, but Eric Hoffman, a St. Jude researcher who helped develop a genetic engineering technique for flu, says the experiments are key to learning what we may eventually face. It's basically the best simulation one could have in the lab of what possibly could happen in nature. And I'm almost finished. If we're lucky, he says, all the hybrid viruses will be harmless or won't thrive, suggesting that we may never spawn a pandemic. That, of course, would be good news, says Hoffman. And if the news is less reassuring, then scientists monitoring in Asia would have a clue about what to watch for, what genetic changes in the virus might signal, signal big trouble ahead. Sorry I took so long. This no, 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 that was important. That was good. Thank you for that. This is phenomenal. And if anybody wants to look into it, and still call us conspirators, October 2005, National Geographic, head co- uh, the cover story, The Killer Flu. It's shocking. And you know what? I believe China wanted money. I don't believe that they did it for, you know, uh, nefarious reasons. I think they were trying to bring trillions of dollars through a patent for treating uh, human viruses. And this they did when they inoculated most of the people in Huan province uh, months before saying this is just flu to protect you from the flu. What a bad, bad, best, you know, China can do what it wants with its people, and we know that. So I think this was an experiment that's gone totally, totally off the planet. This is my theory, and here I found it from 2005. So God bless us all. All right, Melanie, thank you for that. Well, you know, there's no question that, that they are doing these sorts of things uh, in in these 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 bio lab level four labs we have one in Winnipeg uh, there is one apparently in in Wuhan so that, you know that we have to hold that out as a possibility that they were working on something like this maybe it escaped or it may have gone from bats to 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 pigs to or bats to some other uh, you know uh, vector before it was transferred to humans however regardless of whether they made it happen or let it happen or saw it happen and were glad it happened, it happened. And here we are. And um, you, you were mentioning a little earlier about you know guaranteed incomes and how I was saying I'm hoping that's a stopgap measure. But you know, if we're going to be quarantined and if these supply chains that were interrupted, they want to put a stop to that and bring a lot of these factories home, they're not going to be able to pay our workers what they paid workers in China. So they will be replaced with robots. And this is going to cause, already is causing, a huge displacement. This was a, what Andrew um, Yang was talking about in the Democratic uh, primary. I mean, he was an interesting candidate. He was the only one really talking about this. And this is vitally important. The huge displacement that's happening. We are being replaced by robots. And... What are you going to do with 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 people that that used to work on the assembly line? You're gonna you're gonna have to introduce some sort of a guaranteed uh, income, and and here we are. Yeah, so that's that's that can push us you know into into more of a dependence. So everything is pointing to a more 
integrated technologically and dependent society. Um, and again, the, the, the whole idea, the bigger picture for me, is that God and his angels, his Holy Spirit, and uh, his power is, are in charge. That there's nothing here. It's more like observations of, of seeing if, you know, some of the things that are uh, recorded in this book are leading to this final moment of history before we get into this wonderful season, the Sabbath of history. The Second Coming is the solution, really, to all of the world's problems at every level, you know, personal, communal, national, international, everything from, you know, disease to uh, psychological, emotional, uh, spiritual, I mean, you name it. The Second Coming is the solution, uh, exploitation, darkness, all the evil that's in the world. It's a solution. So it's, if, if we really are the verge of such an incredible event, well, we are told to pray for it, to look for it, and to desire it, and, and therefore we, we, it would be wonderfully a, a blessing for our generation to see this. Um, we're kind of looking for clues to see if we are, in fact, headed towards this kind of a kingdom because, because we're looking forward to what it means. It means that we are at the gates of a wonderful change, uh, a transition uh, uh, from the world of fallen angels and fallen men to the world of the Messiah and God uh, and the Sabbath of history and, and, a, and a world where the wolf uh, and, and the lamb live together and the child and the lion live together, uh, you know, and, and uh, we live with the asps and we're not at all uh, wounded by them. This type of a harmonious uh, kingdom is what we are hoping for. So it's a wonderful thing. If this is what's happening, and if these are parts of the signs of the times, it's it's a good thing. But uh, yeah. But the I mean the those that want us to uh, be vaccinated, and those of us that that want us to put health before civil liberties, they're kind of arguing the same thing. We're trying to bring you a more harmonious world. We're, you know, it's time to tear down borders. We're caught. We're we're confronted by a common enemy. So. Uh, they're they're both we're, we're getting the same message from both sides, aren't we? Yes, and it's a pseudo. That's why antichristus in the Greek. That's the word used in the Bible. It's not antichrist. It's ante, antichristus, which means pseudo messiah instead of the messiah. Instead, even through the science of genetics, we may be offered immortality. If you play with the gene code, maybe they can extend life the way that God shortened it to 120 years after the flood. Maybe perhaps there's a way of extending. Perhaps God has locked that possibility, but who knows what gifts they may want to offer us to say, you know what, why don't you stay on this side of the fence? You know, he, this guy is going to make it, and why don't you join his army? So we have been offered uh, two, two worlds. Uh, now, biblical prophecy has done us a favor and has revealed to us already which one will win. So... Um, you know, uh, from a very practical point of view, it's best to be on, on the winning side, I'd say. But it's not just practical, it's more like a love relationship. We have an emptiness in us that can only be filled with the love of God. It is, it is God has created this emptiness in us uh, so that we would know Him through it. And we're not. So, in, in the meantime, though, Ali, do we, do we sit back, those, you know, that, that are of us that are Bible believing Christians, and say, ah, okay. I see what's happening here, but I'm just going to let it ride because I know in the end the good guys win. Or do we push back? Do we, we fight back. it? I think we push back because 
we want to uh, make our voice known, and we want to have spoken, we want it to be recorded in history to, you know, for ourselves, for our own sake, for the sake of our conscience, for the sake of our children, for the sake of our values, that we have spoken, and we will influence. We have been given, this is what these Protestant and republics and you know, the revolutions of Europe, be England, France, uh, you know, America, um, there was a strain in there that said, let us have a little bit more of a say into, you know, more transparency, because we don't really know who's on the other end of the line. Um, it, and so I think it's healthy for us to stand up and say, wait, we don't, we're not that afraid. We don't want that kind of an Orwellian 1984 Big Brother type of society. We don't want that. And even though we may okay. not get our wishes, but at least we will influence its course. All right. Ali, always a pleasure. And we'll direct people again to thinkagainproductions.com. Uh, there they can screen UFOs, Angels, and Gods for free. They should also subscribe to the YouTube channel. That's Think Again Productions as well, is it? Yes. It's, yes. It's, when they click on the video, it'll take them to YouTube and they can subscribe. Excellent. There. Terrific. And sign up for the newsletter while you're at it. Ali, always a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much for having Richard. Wonderful evening. All right. Bye-bye. God bless. My thanks to Carlos and Ryan back next week with a brand new program, John Barber, for the full two hours. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Or at least up the stairs. Good night.